Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Are you ready for the word? Okay. Mark chapter 6, okay? And remember, your part is to take what I say personally this morning. Now, leading up to Mark chapter 6, Jesus had gone to his hometown, and there he and the disciples that were following him, they had done some teaching, and, 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 but the people in, in Nazareth and the surrounding villages, the people who knew Jesus when he was raised as a little boy there, they'd had a hard time imagining that, that, uh, that he could help them in any way. And Jesus said, you know, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own people. And so the people there, the Bible says they refused to believe that Jesus could help them. And so it limited Jesus in what he was able to do there, not what he was able physically to do, but what in good conscience he could do. How could Jesus in good conscience begin to reward those who did not believe in him on the same par as he was rewarding those who were reaching out to him with desperate faith? And so there, the Bible says he did heal a few sick people. But then, whenever they left that region, he sent the 12 disciples out. He wanted to give them a little on-the-job training, okay? And he told, them, he told them, I want you to go out, and I want you to preach, and I want you to teach, and I'm going to give you authority over demons to cast them out and, and, and to heal diseases, and I want you to go out. Now, I don't want you to take any money with you. I don't want you to even take an extra pair of shoes or an extra coat or an extra, you know, a change of clothes. I don't want you to take any food. With, I don't want you to take anything with you. You just go out without anything. And, and wherever you go, preach. Wherever you go, be a blessing. And if somebody lets you spend the night in their house and you just stay there until you just preach to everybody that wants to hear it. And you just go from city to city and then come back and tell me how it went. And so when the disciples got back to Jesus, they were tired. They had walked no telling how far. They had preached. They had taught. Some of them had had good experiences, no doubt. And some of them had had less than favorable experiences. And Jesus told them how to handle those. Some of them perhaps experienced hunger. Some of them perhaps experienced need. But they were tired. They were so tired that it was easily recognized by Jesus. You can imagine having walked those hills of Galilee and, and perhaps on down toward Jerusalem and maybe up toward Lebanon and over into what is now Syria and Jordan. There they had, you know, they, they had done their best. They had given it their all. And so... Uh, when they got back, we pick up the story right here in Mark chapter 6. The Bible says in verse 30, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Verse 31, And Jesus said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Now, Jesus recognized after they gave him their report that they were tired. He said, come, come, come with me. 
We're going to go to this, you know, area. Let's find a quiet place. It's evident that you're tired, and a lot of people are coming and going, and it was busy and busy, and I can see that you're tired, and, and come, come, a, come apart and rest for a while. Verse 32, so they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Now, from other scriptures and other accounts in the other Gospels, we know that they got in a little boat there on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and they sailed up northward up the Jordan River where it pours into the Sea of Galilee, and they sailed up the Jordan River to a little city, to a little fishing village called Bethsaida. How do we know that? Because uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record Jesus and what he is about to do. He is about to feed the 5,000 with these few fish and loaves. And the Bible tells us that he did that on a hillside that belonged to the town of Bethsaida. Now, some of you have been to Bethsaida with me, and you've seen where the Jordan River pours out into the uh, Sea of Galilee. And I've taken you on that little journey, and we've gone up to the town of Bethsaida. There are no hills in front of Bethsaida between the, the, the Sea of Galilee and Bethsaida. All the hills are behind. And the only way you could access those by a boat would to be go would, would to go up that Jordan River and sail around that little town that sits on a hill and in those hillsides Jesus was looking for a quiet place a deserted place a place away from the cities a place away from all the crowds and all the people that were coming and asking Jesus to heal them and asking you know uh, uh, you know for needs to be met and so they got in the boat and, uh, you know, uh, they departed en route to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. Verse 33. But the multitude saw them departing. And many knew Jesus and ran there on foot from all the cities. <laughs> they just took off like a, like a, you know, a mass crowd. And they arrived <laughs> at the place where Jesus and his disciples were going to go, they arrived before the boat did and came together to Jesus. Oh, my goodness. You know, here, here the disciples are tired. Jesus is tired. You know, uh, bless their hearts. You know, these boys had walked a long way. They had done a lot of things. They had answered a lot of questions. They had preached a lot of sermons. They had, they had been busy, 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 busy serving the people and serving Jesus and, 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 and you know, doing all the things that, that are demanded of someone that, that, that is given to serve the people, casting out demons and, you know, um, hearing, you know, that they just heard that John the Baptist had, 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 had been executed by Herod and, and no doubt... Uh, they were mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually tired. They were challenged. Life was tough. Have you ever been in a place where you have gone and gone and gone and gone and you've worked and worked and worked and you're doing all the things you should do and things that are necessary, perhaps serving others or serving your family or perhaps you know, just doing the things that have to be done and all of a sudden you find yourself, even though you're not in sin and even though you're not doing bad things, yet you're just so tired and so weary that all you can think about is just finding a place to sit down and be quiet. But about the time you do, all the, oh, work calls, you know. We got to have you, or a kid cries, or a dog barks. <laughs> you got to go outside. <laughs> you know, well that happens. Jesus had compassion on his disciples, 
He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be weary. But the multitude still needed to be taught. They still needed to be given hope. They still needed to be fed. And, uh, you know, so they got up and they began to serve. And there Jesus began to teach and he taught and he served. And, you know, uh, he ended up, you know, uh, uh, multiplying the fish and loaves. And the disciples had to get up, the Bible says, and serve 5,000 thousand men besides the women and children and then they had to gather up all the fragments that were left over and each one of them had gathered up a whole basket full of fragments don't you know they were just more tired just more tired well that brings us in this particular passage this morning in Jesus recognizing that sometimes we get tired Sometimes we're doing what we should do. Sometimes we're doing what needs to be done. Sometimes we're doing what we were told to do. But yet life still can make us weary. Life can still make us emotionally, spiritually, physically tired. There will always be plenty of work for the worker. Almost 40 years ago now, I was so busy that it seemed like I was meeting myself coming and going. I just surrendered to the ministry and just gotten out of the military. And, and you know, I, I, I was serving Jesus and I was burning the candle at both ends and, and was so busy, legitimately busy, just like uh, so many of you are in life. I was in life in that time. And I remember my brother coming to see me. Uh, I have a brother that's seven years older than I am. And, and uh, he, he was a preacher, he was a minister. And he came to see me and he gave me a bit of wisdom that has lasted me through uh, all these seasons of life. And it's a bit of wisdom that these scriptures confirmed. And what he told me is that sometimes the godliest thing you can do is take a nap. Sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. And let me tell you what God is saying for us right now, because many of you have been on a road, a road that has been challenging, a road that has been mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually challenging over this past year, not only with COVID, but also the elections and all the things that are going on worldwide, all, all, all of the you know, extra pressure at work and maybe family pressure and all of these who have been sick and, and we've been helping. You know uh, life can get busy, but let me give you a word from God today. Sometimes the most godly thing that you can do is rest is separate yourself get apart for a moment to a quiet place and rest now just because it didn't work for these boys at that moment didn't mean that Jesus was not on an adventure to continue to find them a place where they could park their lives for just a moment and take a breath and get away from the things that were pressing in upon them do you know vacations are a godly thing you know just some time off just separating yourself, just getting away from those things that have given you pressure. Let me ask you, what is pressure in your life? What is it that's challenged you mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, uh, spiritually? What is it that's pressing in upon you? Is it the news or is it, is, is it work or is it, you know, is it family? What is it that you can't seem to get away from that is a, that is a reasonable and a right demand, but it's just making you more and more tired, weary, worn out? I want to encourage you to consider finding a way to take a little break. I'm so glad that Jesus saw that need and right here in the Word of God encourages us to rest. 
Well, now for the next passage, just right down below there. As I said, Jesus taught the multitudes and, you know, he, he multiplied the fish and loaves and, uh, you know, the disciples served the people. And in the evening time of that day, Jesus encouraged the disciples to go and get in the boat there on the Jordan River and to go ahead and sail out and to go to the other side, uh, which is out into the Sea of Galilee. He said, you, go, you guys go ahead and do that. Get in the boat and go ahead. Uh, and I will send the multitude away. And then I'm going to go apart and find a place to pray myself. And then I'll join you guys later. So they go and get in this boat. And as they get in the boat, uh, you know, uh, uh, they start their journey. And by the time they get out to the Sea of Galilee, there is such a strong wind against them that they're finding themselves having to row the boat. They're rowing the boat, and they're rowing, and they're rowing. And, and you know, the, the Bible tells us and gives us a picture that they were rowing hard. In fact, they rowed, uh, they, they rowed so hard, they were wearing themselves out, but they could not bring the boat even to shore. And it was, it, 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 it was such a, a, a tempest and, and such a strong wind against them. They were wearing themselves out. And there they had been rowing for hours upon hours upon hours. Jesus, having finished his prayer, he saw them in the midst of the sea. And he saw that they were having trouble. And the Bible says that he went walking on the water to go to them. And when he got close to them, they saw him and they imagined that it, it, you know, it was a ghost. But Jesus identified himself. He knew they were worn out, even more tired now than they were before. And in verse 51 of Mark 6, the Bible says, Then Jesus went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Now, Jesus had gone walking on the water to them in the midst of this storm, and, and there the disciples saw him and thought it was a ghost. Of course, you know, uh, things can happen to you whenever you're mentally and emotionally and spiritually and physically worn out, and they were, and yet it was dangerous, and, and, and they were doing what Jesus had told them to do, but yet, you know, things were against them, and it was hard for them to do it. And, and Jesus, the first thing he said to them is, is don't be afraid. He said, you know, wait, wait, uh, you know, it's me, you know, uh, you know, uh, and and so then he gets into the boat and the wind stops. And the Bible makes it a point to us to tell us that they were greatly amazed. That they were, you know, almost beside themselves, beyond measure. And they marveled. They, they just were amazed. Why? Why were they amazed that Jesus could calm the storm. They had been with him for a long time. Verse 52, it says, They were amazed because or for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Now, most of the time, whenever we read the Word of God and we read about hardened hearts, we equate that with sin or opposition. But here, the disciples were not in opposition toward Jesus, you know, uh, they were not against him, and they were not in sin. But yet, their hearts were hardened. What is a hard heart? 
A hard heart is a picture of fallow ground. Fallow ground is that ground after a long winter that it kind of crusts over because it's not been worked, it's not been plowed. And you take the seed out there in the springtime. If you don't plow it up first and you drop the seed on the ground, it just bounces off. Boom, 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 boom. Okay? It, it's not sin. Sin is not the only thing that can harden a person's heart. Sin is not the only thing that can uh, you know, leave us unable to receive a miracle unable to receive the word, unable to receive understanding in what Jesus has done and what he can do. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand. They had not understood the loaves. Why did they marvel? Why were they surprised that Jesus could calm the storm? Why didn't they realize that just a, just a few hours ago, he took, you know, five loaves and two little fishes and, and he fed, you know, perhaps as many as 15,000 people. I mean, uh, you know, someone that could do that could certainly do this. But they, all the time, perhaps, as many of the Bible scholars offer us, perhaps all of the time that they were involved in the feeding of the 5,000 and all the things that were doing and the miracle that was taking place, perhaps they weren't paying real attention to it. But maybe they were so tired that, that it just didn't sink in. And that's what it means. It just didn't get down in there. You know, Jesus' abilities just didn't get down into them. They, they, they weren't trading on all the things that Jesus had done in the past to say he can also take care of me now. You know, their, their, their weariness, their tiredness, their, their, their lack of rest, their lack of attention, their lack of understanding put them in a place where they were so afraid for their moment without realizing that the same Jesus that helped me last time is also going to help me this time. They lost sight of the miracle that they had just witnessed. And they became worried about the situation they were in. They became afraid. So many times we get busy and tired and forget that we have seen Jesus do things for us in the past. We have seen God move in our past. We know that God loves us and cares about us. But sometimes we can get into a place to where our current situation, our current problem, our, our current uh, uh, um, dilemma, our current storm seems so big that we feel like we're going to perish in this one. This one's going to take us out. This one, you know, whenever Jesus was surprised at them, that they didn't realize that he was the same today as he was yesterday. Just like David said whenever Saul told him, you cannot go up against this giant. He said, oh, listen, there was a bear came out after my sheep. I killed him. There was a lion that came out. I killed him. And the same God that was with me when I killed the bear and was with me when I killed the lion, that same God is with me today, and that giant is no different than the bear and the lion. Listen, that storm was no different than the hungry multitude. That storm, you know, <laughs> what sometimes we need to realize in life 
is that the same God that helped us yesterday, last year, the same God that was with us in our, in our lonely nights, is with us today and for him the miracle is no different the storm is no different than the 15,000 hungry people that's probably why the very first thing that Jesus said to them when they saw him was be of good cheer he said do not be afraid let me tell you, whatever the storm is that you may be facing, whatever the hunger is that you may be experiencing, whatever the situation that you may be encountering now, the same God that was with you last time will be with you this time, and he'll be with you next time as well. And this storm is no different than the last time, okay? Don't be afraid. He said, it's me. I'm right here with you. That's what he told him. Look, it's me. It's me. You're okay. I'm with you. Come on now, he said. Put your happy face on, okay? That's what he said. Be of good cheer. That's what he you know, Hello? Yeah, you in a storm? Let me tell you. Put your happy face on. Jesus right there with you. Come on now. Put your happy face on. Be of good cheer. Okay? Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Don't lose it at this point. Jesus is right here with you. He can handle the storm as easy as he multiplied the fish and loaves. I know you're tired, he's saying. I know that you've been rowing a long time. I know that you're doing what I ask you to do. I know that I've asked you to do quite a lot. I know it's been tough on you. But don't get in a place where you think that I'm not with you and I can't help you. I'm here, he said. The last passage before we draw our conclusions today that we're going to consider this morning is found in just a few verses later, as we begin the seventh chapter of Mark. In the seventh chapter of Mark, the Bible tells us in the first verse, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now let me explain uh, these groups of people so that you'll know uh, who, who we're talking about, okay? The, the, the Pharisees here uh, are a religious group of, of, of leaders. They are religious leaders. Okay? Um, you know, they're, they're not all bad people, okay? But they're, they are intent as a group on finding something about Jesus so that they can end up putting him to death. He's just getting too much attention, too much influence. Okay. The scribes are recorders. Okay. They were keepers. They are people that were entrusted to observe, record, and protect the truth. Now, and these scribes were a part of the Pharisees as well. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. Well, of course they did. <laughs> Hello, that's what they came here for. <laughs> they found fault. You know, uh, uh, sure they did. That's what they were good at. They were really, 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 really good at finding fault, you know. And I don't know, some of you may be scribes or Pharisees. I don't know. Maybe you're really good at finding fault as well. They really were. 
You know, although they were on an adventure to find fault, they went out there to find some fault. But sometimes it can fall to our natural abilities that we just kind of seem to find a little fault. You know, um, and so here in, in, in finding this fault, you know, which let me tell you to begin with, if you're looking for something to not agree with, you will find it, even if you're looking at Jesus and his disciples. If you're on a search for something to disagree with, you're going to find it even when you look at the perfect Christ or those who are serving him. It's so easy to blame others for our troubles. And the Pharisees were having trouble. They were losing some of their crowd and losing some of their support and losing some of their followers. They were especially losing that poor, needy group of people. Those grassroots, those people who were in that day, the people that followed Jesus, were, were uh, uh, migrant workers. They would come into the region of the Galilee in the wintertime because it's 1,200 feet below sea level uh, at the Dead Sea and, and still below sea level. And here they would, uh, they would find work in raising the crops. And also, they didn't have to have shelter in the wintertime living in that region because it was warmer and more temperate. So many of the times that the multitudes that you find, uh, you know, following Jesus were those that, you know, uh, didn't have homes necessarily, not all of them, but most of them. And they were, they were, uh, uh, you know, of the, of the uh, lower economic strata who were between jobs and who were be being benefited by following Christ. And they had opportunity to go from place to place to place. You know, thousands of them. And here the Pharisees were losing their influence over these groups of people. Some rich people followed Christ. Some wealthy people. Some educated people. But Jesus in that day appealed mostly and reached out mostly to those who were hurting and in need and in this group the pharisees felt as though that they were that these were the bread and butter for the pharisees because the pharisees uh, actually you know uh, had had the legal claim over these groups of people so that they had to obey them and follow their dictates and there's nothing like an elite group of people that feels as though that they have a right to you and to your, you know, product or to your taxes or to your support in mass. And that's how they felt. So they were looking to find fault with Jesus because if they could find fault with Jesus, perhaps they could turn away some of his followers and bring them back to support the Pharisees. Well... Here in verse 2, when, when they saw some of Jesus' disciples eating with, you know, with, without washing their hands, they found fault. In verse 6, Jesus answered and said to them, to the Pharisees, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You see, the Pharisees claimed to love and worship God, but they hated his son, and they hated everything that his son stood for. 
They claimed to worship God. In fact, they claimed that they had, a, they had cornered the market on God worship. They had cornered the market on truth. They had cornered the market on, 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 on explaining the truth. They felt as though that the only truth that anybody should believe was the pharisaical truth. And, and, and listen, they would end up crucifying Jesus because they didn't want anybody to believe his truth. They claimed, like Isaiah the prophet prophesied, Jesus said, it's just what Isaiah said. You know, here you are, you claim to worship God. You claim to worship, you know, I mean, and you do from, from the outside. It looks like from the outside you're worshiping God, but on the inside you are full of dead men's bones. You're like whited sepulchers. My goodness, you don't just need to clean the outside, but on the inside of you, you have a problem. You are whited sepulchers, he said. In fact, if you were to read in Matthew chapter 23, we won't go there, but Jesus levied eight curses. These are New Testament curses spoken harshly by Jesus. You remember earlier we were talking about this loving, caring Jesus who is patient and kind and merciful? You remember our, our, our message title is Love and Mercy. It's about Jesus, love and mercy. I mean, he is a merciful God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. He, you know, he, he's tender. He's patient. He's kind, right? Or, I, mean, I mean, we're all in agreement with that. But yet, when it got to these scribes and Pharisees who were hypocrites, just in the 23rd chapter of Mark, Jesus harshly levies eight curses against the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Again, the scribes, those gifted and trusted to search out, record, and protect the truth. People who are gifted, people who are, are trusted to search out the truth, and to record the truth, and to present the truth, and protect the truth. It's horrible when they become hypocritical. It's horrible whenever they become people you can't trust. On the outside, they look all smiley. On the outside, they're saying good things, but on the inside, they are full of evil and wickedness and searching for something only to destroy that which is wonderful. The Pharisees, again, this member of the, members of the elite group of leaders in Israel, Jesus spoke so harshly against them. He didn't speak against them because they were in leadership. He didn't speak against them because they, 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 they had a position of recording and protecting the truth. He didn't speak against them because they were scribes and Pharisees. He spoke against them because they were hypocrites. He spoke against them because... They had been trusted to protect and record and keep and share the truth and to lead the people in a path of righteousness, to lead the people according to what is best for the people in the eyes of God. And instead, they were leading them according to what was best for the leader. Jesus spoke harshly against them. Now, Jesus has nothing against scribes and Pharisees. But he has evidently quite a lot against hypocrites. When the embodiment of love and mercy, okay, now, now get, get this picture with me, okay? Let me, let, me, let, me tell you, let me tell you about my mama. My mama was the sweetest woman ever walked the face of the earth. I'm telling you, she just was. She was sweet. She was wonderful. She was kind. She was good. I mean, uh, you know, uh, 
I, I was raised in a home where but was a cuss word. Okay? <laughs> and I got my mouth washed out with soap if I wasn't watchful. Okay? Uh, but my mama was so kind and sweet and loving. And if my mama ever got on to me, or if I ever heard her, and I never heard her say one bad word about anybody else, but if I ever heard her in the next room telling somebody, listen, you need to, you need to stop doing this. If my mama ever got on to you, you deserved it. Okay? Think how much more if Jesus ever got on to you. I mean, the embodiment of love and mercy, having to speak harshly and say, listen. Listen, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees who are hypocrites. Woe unto those scribes and Pharisees who are hypocrites. Woe unto those scribes and Pharisees who are hypocrites. Woe unto those scribes and Pharisees who are hypocrites. Woe unto those scribes and Pharisees who are hypocrites. All of a sudden, you kind of get the picture that Jesus is a little upset with hypocrites. And if love and mercy is going to give you some harsh correction, if love and mercy, if Jesus said something's wrong with you, let me tell you something's wrong with you, and you need to change. If what you're doing on the outside of your life looks all sweet and wonderful, and it looks like you're loving, and it looks like you're worshiping, and it looks like you're caring, and it looks like you're all for God and the other people, that it looks like you love God, and it looks like you, you care about others, but on the inside, you only care about yourself, let me tell you, you need to change. Love and mercy says you need to change. Hello? Isn't this good stuff, Pastor Marcus? You know, it really is. The word hypocrite comes from the portrayal of being an actor on a stage. Isn't that interesting? The word hypocrite means uh, basically to speak lines that are not your own. They're not, they're not really yours. They're made-up lines. And like an actor on a stage portraying um, uh, uh, a character that you're not in order to fool your audience into believing that you are that person when you're really not. Let me let that sink in a little bit. Okay? Here's a good ab admonition. Don't be a hypocrite. Isn't that pretty good? Don't be a hypocrite. Wow. You see, Jesus loves you enough to be honest with you. But have you talked to him lately? Are you who you really say you are? Or are you someone else at home? Someone else at work? Someone else when you're online? Are you someone else when you're texting? Are you who you're proud of in heart? Do you love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself? Or are you only faking it? Being a hypocrite? Well, I'm going to conclude with our tailor-made action list. Okay? Here's my action list for this week. I'm going to offer it to you as a tailor-made as, a, as an action list made by Jesus for us this week. Let's put these things in practice in our life this week. Okay? Number one, this is what I'm going to do and what I'm going to encourage you to do. Number one, 
Be sure to rest when you need it. Recognize that if you need a rest, then you need to pay attention to that because if you don't, you can miss some critical things. You can start going through the motions like the disciples were and end up not even realizing that your heart is hard toward the things that God wants to do, the things He is doing, not realizing that you're already involved in one of the greatest miracles. You are involved in a miracle of getting people born again. Every day is a miracle for you. Every day, every moment is an opportunity for you to witness, and you might be missing those chances. You might be missing those moments. You might be missing time with your children, your grandchildren. You might be missing critical time, you know, a time that you could enjoy at work instead of hating to go to work. You could enjoy the times of, of seasons of your life, but if you're just too tired it's hard when you're weary to enjoy anything you know maybe you could just turn off that television unplug that computer maybe you could just you know uh, take a vacation take a few days off of work maybe you could you know find time to just you know uh, you know, uh, you know, one day I, 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 I'd been so busy here just a few years ago I had been so absolutely busy I felt like it was it was and, and this word came to me what my brother said often he, he's, he's told me several things in life and they often come back to me but this word you know sometimes the most godly thing that you can do is take a nap that's what i hear him saying the godliest thing you can do is take a nap wow uh because i'm a guy that you know i'm high strung one sunday i'd gotten so tired i didn't i didn't even know if i wanted to do this anymore you know i was thinking oh gosh i think i'll go get me an acre or two and raise potatoes you know and, uh, you know, that's, that, that, that's how cloudy things can get. You know, the thing that you love, you can begin to feel like it's a chore. You ever feel that way? I told Brenda, I got home, I told Brenda, I said, hey, Brenda, I'm going to take a little drive. You know, I'll be back when I'm finished driving around. I just need to rest a little bit, and I need to, I need to talk to Jesus. So I decided that I would drive a little bit, and I would just put the Bible on. I had, you know, CDs. They don't have CD players anymore. I had a CD with Bible, with the Bibles, the Bible on it. And so I, I said, okay, I'm only going to listen to the Bible. Two commitments I made, they were horrible. One of them uh, uh, was, was really bad. Uh, one of them was I'm not going to drive faster than the speed limit. Whew, try that. <laughs> but... I needed a little discipline. I needed a little. Yeah. So I left here and I headed north. I got to Nebraska. <laughs> In truth, I took a left. I got to the Pacific Ocean. I'd listened through the book of Ezra and I had talked to God night and day. I had poured myself out and he had filled me back up. And then when I got to the Pacific Ocean, you know, I'd taken my time, especially through Oklahoma, because they were having construction and speed limits were so, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, praise the name of the Lord, he had filled me back up. I wasn't empty, and I wasn't full of all the stuff that I evidently had just stored back. I couldn't wait to get home. So I drove back 
a ways. My son lived, oh, a couple hundred miles from where I was. And I left my, my car there <laughs> and got on a plane. I couldn't wait to get back home and get re-engaged in the things that God had called me to do. That's what life can be like. So let me encourage you. Listen, when you need it, be sure to take a rest. Okay? Number two, I'm going to encourage you to count your blessings and stop finding fault. You can tell whenever you get tired and weary because you'll start getting, you know, picky about things. You'll start finding fault with things and other people and problems. And if you're not watchful, you'll start talking to the television. Come on now. Or the radio. You'll start arguing with people over the news. They can't hear you. Count your blessings. It's one of the things I did on that trip. I just counted my blessings. And I found after I poured out all my problems between here and, you know, Salt Lake City, I started counting my, my blessings. And counting those blessings, I realized that God had loaded me up with so many blessings that I had, that, that I had let life cover up, that, I, that, that, that weren't shining, all those things. I, I, I began to polish those blessings that God had given me and, and realize and setting them up where I could see them uh, in place of the things that I had set up on the shelves of my life that, that were constant reminders of something that had disappointed me or whatever. Count your blessings. And the third thing I want to encourage you to do this week is to listen to Jesus. He loves you. And if he has something to tell you that you need to change, he'll tell you because he loves you. Listen to Jesus. And it's a good idea to listen to other people that love you for nothing as well. Listen to Jesus. He may have some things he wants to tell you that you need to change on the inside. And when you change things on the inside, it should change things on the outside. Don't be a hypocrite. Listen to Jesus. He loves you. And remember, if this Bible tells you you're wrong, you're wrong. Just change. Just change. He loves you. He's not condemning you and criticizing you. He does not want to reject you. He loves you. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.